Quality to me is being able to spend time with someone and hear what their needs are, mm-hmm. understand it from their perspective. And when we're writing a report, the goals and the actions should be reflective of what we've spoken about. This is Intelligent Rebellion. Welcome to Season 3 of the Intelligent Rebellion Podcast. Meet Fiona Fonti, a mom, a wife, a business owner, and an all-around good human. I first heard about Fiona from a friend, and then a few months later from another friend. And now having met Fiona and spending time with her, I know what the hype is about. Fiona, already being an NDIA participant, recently had a significant medical episode. She went from being viciously independent to now needing help with aspects of her daily life. She's learnt to embrace the simpler things and make a definite choice about where to put her energy. Fiona shares her experience about trying to return to work and managing her business after this medical episode. She talks about the difficulties in navigating through the healthcare system, even as a professional in the system, the impact on her family, and about how this experience has actually made her a better professional. And she also has some tips for the rest of us professionals out there. Fiona has always been reluctant to toot her own horn, though she is one of the truly wonderful great people in the rehab world. Someone who cares deeply for her staff and for her clients, someone who cares deeply for the system itself, and someone who definitely needs to be celebrated. In sharing her story and coming onto this podcast, Fiona hopes that people will connect with her. She's an open book and invites everyone absolutely everyone to ask her anything, any aspect of her life, her business, her disability, and her ongoing recovery. So let's get to it. This is Fiona Fonti. Hey, Fiona, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Um, To start off with, just go off and introduce yourself. Let us know who you are, what your deal is. Thanks, Leah, for having me on today. Uh, so my name is Fiona Fonti. I'm a occupational therapist. I'm a mum, a wife, and a business owner. I hold a lot of hats in my life. Um, the reason why I actually wanted to speak with you is because you intrigue me. I think in a world of compensation, you're a breath of fresh air. And I've heard so much about you, about the way you run your business, the way you care for your staff, and I think that's really something that needs to be celebrated. Let's start with, you mentioned you're, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a business owner. What are you most proud of about those things? What I'm most proud of about those things is that somehow they kind of work in synergy, even though I've never been able to achieve a balance that everyone talks about. <laughs> I've got kids that are grown up, you know, really good kids. I've got a business that has hopefully, I think, being able to maintain um, a really good reputation mm-hmm. is quite challenging mm-hmm. to do. But it's a hard question to say because there's so many things mm-hmm. that I'm proud of. Despite normal life challenges, still being able to keep all the board in the air and keep <laughs> things is, is a really big thing, especially after all the health issues for the past year. And being a, a woman running a business, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be any different to a guy, but there's a lot of things that we need to manage very different. What are those things that you find that our male counterparts might not have to deal with when it comes to running a a business? Being pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
<laughs> carrying a baby. Yeah. Coming back to work straight after mm. having the baby, bringing the baby to a meeting, to an appointment. Yeah. Oh, you've been around for about as long as I have yeah. in compo. <sighs> yeah. Let's think back to like 10, 15 years ago. Would you ever imagine bringing your kid into a meeting? Do you think it's changing for the better to maybe include more mothers or or women back into the workforce? Well, I hope so, but I think, I I know from my point of view, that was the only way it could could work, you know, to bring my baby to meetings. There was no other options. those meetings had to go ahead, my baby had to come <laughs> too. coming regardless, yeah. right? Just one like, example, I'll never forget, and because this client often refers back um, to the very first meeting that she had with me, and she's like, I was really nervous coming to meet with the rehab provider, I didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. and then I arrive, and you're like, oh, do you mind holding my baby so I can... <laughs> type my notes and she's like I just felt this is normal like this is real life and it just kind of reduced her anxiety yeah in that moment whereas to me in my mind I was like oh how's the client going to take this mm-hmm. how am I going to manage this but it actually helped yeah. the situation so that was powerful for me yeah to hear that and and were you pleasantly surprised as well about thinking oh actually there's all these expectations in my mind and what I expected to be a professional and what constitutes being a professional and by just being human and being yourself you were able to connect 100% better yeah and that's sort of maybe a line that I wanted to explore a little bit more because your business just maintains the humanity in everything that you do not just for the people that you support and your clients but also for your employees and your staff how do you do it how do you do it in this industry that demands so much especially being a small business trying to take on some of some large businesses out there it's really hard and i think it's been through a lot of learning and growth over the years. The business will be 10 in June, big (laughs) celebration coming up. And if I think back to when I first started the business, I'm an accidental business owner. I never planned to run a business. So I started the rehabilitation specialist after being made redundant. I was like, let's just see how this goes. And there were three of us at, at that point in time. I had no idea, you know, but now that I have time to look back and reflect and look at the journey, the, the, best way I can describe it is it's literally like being a parent. <laughs> so I started the business as a, you know, if you could relate it to a first-time mum or first-time parent, you have no idea what you're doing, you're overprotective, you kind of want to know every little thing mm-hmm. that goes on, um, a lot, maybe a lot less relaxed about what you're doing. So in those early days when I look back at how I ran the business then, I wanted to be a market leader and to have a you know supportive workplace but maybe my management style at that time was very much that of a, a young manager and mm-hmm. maybe being over involved. Do, do you have any stories or any memories from that time when you're like oh yeah shit I'll give you an example so I was very much like you I was in a business and you sort of fall into that whole professional thing and trying to be a manager and this is one story that I have is um, it was probably five or six years after I'd managed this one person, we'd met up again because our industry is so tiny, right? And she said to me, oh, Ria, the only thing I really remember from you as my manager was that I came back from a case conference one time and you were with me and your feedback was, 
you didn't shake their hand. And in retrospect, and hearing that from this amazing consultant, and I so think so highly of her, even now it makes me so emotional to think, what a fuck up. Like if I could have just gone back to Ria, the manager, and said to her, like, what a stupid thing to say. Why are you focusing on that when she did an amazing conference mm. and actually pointed to how well she did rather than the fucking handshake? That's always stuck with me. And from that, we learn. We, we become better humans. So is there anything in your mind that you go, oh, yeah, oops? And what would you do differently in that situation? One of the things that I always wanted to make sure that we delivered as a company that was different was not having a cookie-cutter approach. Mm-hmm and focusing on quality um, of the services that we delivered and probably in those early days pay too much attention on the micro detail in the report and the information that was going out Mm -hmm. but that was our brand and that was really important at that time Mm -hmm. but I can kind of reflect back and see that for employees on the ground that's hard to balance with trying to juggle the demand of the role mm-hmm. and the KPI, but then also having someone that's quite fussy about <laughs> the work that goes out. But then I think back at it and say, but would I really necessarily change that? Mm-hmm. Because that's what started the business and the brand and see ourselves still as a quality provider. And that's interesting that you point to that because what is quality in rehab? What is the essence of rehab? Like, what are we all trying to do? Where's your ethos on that? We're trying to help people recover. And getting back to work is one part of that recovery. Mm -hmm. So the essence of rehab, from my perspective, is being able to be holistic in our approach. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard sometimes when you have KPIs that are set externally, not internally. Quality to me is being able to spend time with someone and hear what their needs are, mm-hmm. understand it from their perspective. And when we're writing a report, the goals and the actions should be reflective of what we've spoken about. Mm-hmm. comes in, the quality is when you make it about that person. I was speaking to uh, Rosemary Mackenzie Ferguson on, I think, episode eight, and we spoke about professionals like us writing reports based on what we think might be approved or not approved by you know, the insurer or the scheme agent or whoever in DIA. But in reality, our job is exactly what you've just said, is to make sure that we report on the needs of a human being. Right. It's that existential question of how funny would it be if we actually decided to put the workers or the people that we work with at the center of the scheme? It, was, it would be like it would explode. Now, you're a small boutique. Well, dare I say, we are a small provider. Yeah. How well, do you compete in this market, which is now worth $40 million, billion, whatever it is, against these companies who have so much capital? What do you think makes your company and the rehab specialists so special? I think what makes us different is that for a relatively small company, we're not that small. I feel like we're moving more to like <laughs> medium size now, but we have such a broad scope mm-hmm. in what we deliver. Working in the NDIS space, workplace rehab, life insurance, CTP, and I think having the majority of our team working across all of those spaces helps our views to be quite holistic. Yeah, so people will tend to specialise in certain things, like I'm only a clinician or I'm only a rehab consultant. 
But it seems like what you've built here is a workforce of people who are so adaptable, who are really quite generalists, but ultimately their whole idea is, I just want to help a human being and I know how to use certain parts of each system to get the best outcome. Yeah, in a way, so there's still um, people that work primarily in the NGIS mm-hmm. space or primarily in rehab, yeah. but there's a lot of crossover. An OT in the NGIS space that has specialist skills in home modification mm-hmm. can support the rehab space yeah. or the CTP space and vice versa. Yeah. Our team, our expectation is that they drive the type of work that they'd like to do and build their caseload in that way. But having that flexibility and the opportunities to diversify what they do. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've flipped the script. So you've sort of said, if we do things right, we look after our staff, we look after our workers, we we work to the true ideals of rehab, then the money is going to come. It's going to flow in because we're doing a good job. People recognize that. Tell me more about your staff and how are you supporting your staff with any changes, the way that they evolve as humans and the way that their life might evolve as well? Something that's really important to recognize is that no matter where we work, we have our own lives that are going on. And at different times in our lives, different things are important. Mm. So there's times in our lives where it's all about, I've just got to earn as much money as I can, I've got a mortgage. But then there's other times in your life where, you know, I have a family now, or I want to start focusing on some volunteer work or some other aspects. And you don't always have to be pushing forward up the ladder. Sometimes you can take a step back. This is not something that's been in place for the last 10 years. Mm. This is something that's evolved over time. Mm. Probably been the last two years Mm -hmm. that this kind of, realization has come out we don't have to be rigid in our approach Mm -hmm. what we should have is a structure that allows true flexibility and people to try and design roles or set their goals with their manager in an open conversation and hopefully that leads to job satisfaction and synergy and being able to um, push when that's the right time Mm -hmm. but also take a step back when you need to take a step back do you see that it might it just all evens out? Should do. Should do. Yeah. <laughs> so the challenge is that this uh, structure mm. came in December 2020. So after the initial COVID. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I took some time to just sit back and reflect and try and think about how can we do things differently. Mm -hmm. Being a small business, it's been really hard to have a clear career structure. But I thought, why can't we document this? Why can we not think about it differently to create flexibility? And that's when the idea came. Mm -hmm. And it's been implemented. Yeah. And so you don't have to go into the details, but but you've basically sat down over Christmas break and, uh, and said to yourself, why do we do things the way that we do exactly. let's dismantle it let's take all the lego pieces apart look at them all and then see if we can put them back together a little bit differently and build something better more sustainable more dynamic yeah. more flexible yeah see that's why you're freaking awesome that's exactly why i want to just talk to you because you have looked at this and gone old ways out not working anymore what i'm interested in is was there something or an experience that made you sit down in that Christmas period and go, something needs to change? It was something that I'd been wanting to do even 12 months before. Uh. But COVID got in the way. <laughs> Managing the business through that time was really hard. Mm-hmm. That's the first round of COVID. But to be honest, the second round has been even harder. Okay. Yeah. 
because there isn't that government support mm -hmm. to help businesses and there's so much unplanned leave yeah there's so many cancellations from a business perspective juggling that yeah and also um, supporting the team mm -hmm. to build and grow has actually been really challenging. Yeah. I'm confident, like the work's all there, the team is all there, so I'm, not, I'm confident that we're on the right path. Yeah. How do you mix all the different parts of you, you know, trying to be a mom and trying to be a partner and then trying to be a business owner? So many balls in the air, surely you drop some. I do. <laughs> And I, well, the honest truth is it's really hard to juggle it all. Mm -hmm. And probably one of my biggest strengths is being able to compartmentalise and try and think of, okay, well, I need to just focus on this thing today or mm -hmm. that helped, but it's not always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Let's do the realities of running a business when it is every single part of you. I mean, your business is your livelihood puts a roof over your head, it feeds your kids. So what are the downfalls of compartmentalization? Because you know that your business is your life. And that hit home last year. Yeah. Cause the balls did or they did drop. Yeah. 22nd of March, 21 was the day I was in this office where we're doing the where podcast. Yeah. yeah. I can't even describe to you exactly what happened cause I can't remember the details of that mm. day very well but essentially I ended up in hospital because I had what at the time was thought to be a stroke but I'm not going to go into all the details mm -hmm. but there's a much bigger medical picture going on. I was in hospital and rehab for a period of seven or eight weeks. Wow. I guess that was the time when things dropped but a lot of good things came out. That was the first time in my life or not the first time since starting the business that I was able to appreciate actually we've built some good foundations here because things kept running and the team stepped up and that doesn't mean everything was perfect it also brought to light you know some gaps and things that we needed to build on yeah. um which is fine that's good it's like a testing your contingency plan yeah that, yeah in real life i think at that time is when i realized that the toll of trying to juggle and compartmentalize mm -hmm. and do everything it's not actually sustainable yeah and yeah. so, I mean, because now you're having to, you know, work through your own health problems and medical things. You've been a health, you've been a, a rehab professional your whole life, helping and supporting people. What's so it like being on the other side? If it wasn't for being a rehab consultant and loving what I do and being an OT, I would not be where I, I wouldn't be back at work because no one tells you what to expect mm -hmm. and navigating the medical system, even as a health professional and trying to advocate for yourself, it's really hard. So how hard is it for people that have no health background? Wow. So I think what it's done for me is really emphasise the importance of our role. Mm -hmm. to be at the middle of the journey with the person who has the injury or illness could literally try and navigate all the parts of the health system. I haven't been able to manage it yeah. for myself. Yeah. I need support to do that. For me, it's highlighted the importance of our role. It's mm -hmm. made me more passionate about what we do. Yeah. Either you love rehab or you hate it. It's so polarizing, but you and I are so in love and absolutely adore this industry and we love rehab. Even prior to what happened in April, what did you love so much about 
workers' comp and being in this space that traditionally most people look at and go, oh, hold, no, heck no. It shouldn't be adversarial. Mm. I just love that we're in a position where we can really make a difference if we're good communicators. Because often people don't know what to ask for, they don't know the right questions to ask to try and get the answers. Mm. We're part of that, like that's where our skill comes in to help navigate the system. This probably isn't the right way to say it, but I do like the drama of it. And it's not <laughs> drama as in, in a negative way, but it's the managing the different moving parts that mm -hmm. are happening all at once. And I love the journey and seeing someone progress through being really uncertain and unsure and kind of at a time in their life where, you know, sometimes it's the first time that things have been thrown out of whack. Yeah, and I hear you, and I, I don't think I don't think that was the wrong way to say it at all. I think what we do is chaotic and people who are attracted to the job that we do, we kind of like to sit in their chaos because we're natural problem solvers. Yeah. We like to see all the parts and go, oh, how does all this fit together? Yeah. And let's find a solution because, and we're creative as well, right? mm. because only people who have imagination and are creative and can flexibly shift and adapt do really well with what we do. Yeah. Uh, and I think the heart of it is that you just want to help yeah. people, right? But now that, you know, so going back to you being the patient, oh, you are the patient. I am the patient. Currently yeah. the patient. Where are we doing it wrong? Pro where are professionals like me and you completely screwing this up? I don't know. I, I wouldn't say we're screwing it up. I think it's that awareness that managing the health situation or the time that goes into your rehab. I think that really needs to be, be reflected as part of the capacity building. That takes so much time. Yeah. So I have two EP sessions a week. I see an OT, see a rehab counsellor. I have a speech therapist, four different medical specialists in my team. Add all of that up. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's just, I'm just being very honest about yeah. what's going on behind the scenes that I need to manage. Mm -hmm. And not just focusing on, okay, what hours should you be at? because of the stage of recovery that you're at in your injury. Yeah. Look at what else is going on that they're juggling mm -hmm. and where would they actually realistically be able to fit more hours in? You know, like almost do a schedule of like what's going on at the moment. Because mm -hmm. there's always this, I guess, emphasis on, you know, recovery guidelines and evidence-based recovery. And that's so, like, it's true. We do need to look at that. Yeah. But that is an ideal, perfect situation. I get referrals for people six months into their recovery or more. So those guidelines are no longer applicable the, because they're already the, the, the so far behind the, the eight four. Yeah. And and look oh, don't get me started on evidence based timelines. Yeah. I, you're right, that's a perfect scenario. Yeah. And what really grasped me as well is if you look at the very first principle of workplace rehab or um, healthcare, it's adopt a biopsychosocial approach. But for some reason, we've forgotten the psychosocial part. It's <laughs> or, or we just, we use the rhetoric, but don't mm -hmm. really think about it. Like, how do we apply that yeah. in practice? And it comes back to, you know, what does that person value? So if I talk about my own recovery, so I was in inpatient rehab for, I think, two and a half weeks. And at that time, there were two tenders underway and they both had 140 cybersecurity questions. <laughs> but in rehab, I said, you need to block out two hours of my day to work on this tender. Mm. And they're like, but you're in rehab. Like, you're not supposed 
to be working. I said, but that's part of my recovery. And that's your reality. That's really important. Yeah. It was really interesting to be the patient and that value of work more than acknowledged early on. The question that I had that's just sort of burning in my brain is when you realize you're in the hospital and something has just happened but you don't know what and you still don't really know what, what was the one of the very first things that went through your mind? Honestly? Please, yes. Honestly, it's like I've got to reorganize my appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember messaging our ops manager and saying, oh, I'll just reschedule and for three weeks time, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then it became apparent that that was not gonna happen. Yeah. But I just had no, I, I thought I would be okay. Yeah. And, and that, that, that's a fair call because that's a challenge that we have. I was the same, I think you've probably heard of stories and I've talked to it a lot. You know, I gave birth to a child and that same afternoon I was like in the hospital room on a, tel on a medical case conference. It, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's nothing to apologize for. Yeah. I think it's the reality. Let's hit them in the, in the face. This is the reality. I mean, I'm listening to you, you know, two EP sessions a week, OT, speech power, three specialists. You're spending 20 hours a week just on your personal. Probably, yeah. So obviously, <laughs> not to mention the, the traveling. The EP appointments are the regulars. And I would say I would not be where I am without those EP appointments. Yeah, EP, so I'm an EP. Shout out to the exercise physiologists out there. Well, a huge shout out because I think what people don't realise is how much EPs can help with your cognition. So I knew physically I would do pretty well because I've always been quite fit. I'm nowhere near what I used to be, but I'm functioning well physically. My problem is my is and continues to be my cognition. Despite how well I'm pulling it together <laughs> today, I will completely crash after this, mm -hmm. and that's just what will happen. But mm -hmm. that's okay; it's worth it. So you choose what the choose being okay with the payoff yeah. of crashing afterwards. Yeah. But my EPs have so they've had to redesign how I exercise. Mm -hmm. They have built in, I guess, a lot of technical exercises mm -hmm. to help my brain process and think. Can you give me an example of, say, maybe one of the technical exercises? Because when we think exercise physiologists, we yeah. think running on treadmills and lifting weights. So, that for example, um, Turkish get-ups, I think they're oh, called. Oh yes, okay. and they're like multi-step. Multi mm -hmm. I couldn't remember those steps in the beginning. Okay. So that had to be modelled to me, and I think that's what six or seven, a six or seven step process. We'll put a little YouTube clip so yeah. that people can see it. Yeah, it's about six and or seven. And in the beginning, I could not do that. It took me months to mm -hmm. learn it, and now we just test my memory of it. Yeah. And some days I still don't remember all the steps. Mm -hmm. But that's a very practical application of exercise for strength building yeah. but also cognition. cognition. What advice do you have for those EPs, OTs about working with patients? Find out what the individual's normal was before mm -hmm. because that is different for everyone and what that person is trying, what each individual person is trying to get back to mm -hmm is very different. Yeah. I, I sound really confident in that and in my recovery, but I'm just gonna tell you some more truth. When I'm at work now, I can't run an assessment on my own anymore because 
I can no longer multitask. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm just focusing on talking to you. But if I had to write notes as well, I can't do that. So I have like one of my colleagues coming along to Mm -hmm. my assessment to type my notes. When it comes to checking a report that's been written on one of my cases, so I'm using this as learning experiences for my team as well. What used to take me an hour to check will now take me four or five hours. Oh wow. So something that's really important is to not assume just on initial presentation because people can present Mm -hmm. one way. Yeah. But try and understand what's going on behind the scenes to know what their reality is. Do you also find that, especially because people have known you before, that you almost want to still be that, dare I say, old Fiona? Yeah, well, actually, I don't want to be the old Fiona. Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy with where I've got to now because I think I'm a lot more accepting of myself and not having to be perfect or try to be I don't think I was trying to be perfect before, but I was always trying to present that I was in control. I think I'm a lot more accepting of how Mm. things are now. Yeah. But things have changed. Again, I'm talking to you Mm one-on-one, but if I go into an environment where there's new people, like a networking event, I I can't go up and talk to someone I've never met before. Okay. And and previously that's something that... I'd be fine. No. Yeah. I had no issue. No second... So my 40th birthday is coming up, so I sound, I'm <laughs> getting to the best years of my life. <laughs> and people have been talking about, oh, you know, are you going to have a party? Because I was always, you know, I loved going out. Yeah. And now I get really anxious at the thought of mm-hmm. being in an environment where I need to be able to communicate and think on my feet mm-hmm. with all this noise around me. Yeah. I'm deaf, so I'm profoundly deaf mm-hmm. and I have bilateral cochlear implant. Yeah. But since all of this happened and I have the epilepsy diagnosis as well, I only wear one implant. So I, I choose to be deaf in my body, mm-hmm. completely deaf, because that extra stimulus was too much for me. But the deaf side comes in handy a lot. So I can just switch off whenever I like. And that's really handy. Like with the kid when they're getting too much, I can just take them off and close my eyes because if my eyes are open, they know to stand in front of me so I lip read. Okay. <laughs> what things have you done? You know what? I don't need to do all this by myself. I've had to be okay with having supports mm-hmm. in place. I'm an NDIS participant. I was before for my deafness anyway. I have a support worker Mm -hmm. now who comes and helps me get to appointments, helps me maintain the house, helps me prepare things for the kids because I've only got a finite amount of energy and cognitions and that's hard because I've always been really independent but again I have to choose okay what what things do I need to accept help for so that I can function mm-hmm. in the areas that are important to me. Yeah. Which is being there for my kids, for my husband, being present at work, because that's a big part of my identity. If I didn't have the support, I don't know how I'd be back at work. Mm-hmm. Some of the cases that we have, it's someone's husband, partner, wife has to take them to appointments because they physically can't take themselves there. And there's a lack of acknowledgement as to for that support person. Maybe this is something else to talk about that could change. If there's more acknowledgement of the extra support that could bring in 
be brought in to support an individual mm. for the period of their recovery so they're not having to rely on their family because mm -hmm. their husband my husband's my husband i don't want him to become my carer yeah for a lot of clients that we deal with mm -hmm. the reality is the roles within their family dynamics are changing yeah. so let's let's do this let's play this game yeah let's rewrite rehab if you were to choose two things that Sarah and NDIS said yeah sure you can have that Fiona because let's rewrite policy I think you pointed to one of them already is to have basically an, a person who's going to help our client with all those very practical things that need to be done. But what else would be your dream that would be in the system? Time. <sighs> <laughs> to have the time to spend with an individual, to understand what they need without being pressured. We have to have a report out in a certain number of days. It's got to be written within one and a half hours or whatever the time frame is. Yeah. You can't deliver a good rehab with these significant time pressures. Completely understand that there's um, obviously a financial reason yeah. behind these decisions. But if we can invest the time that we need mm -hmm. at the beginning, we're much more likely to have a better outcome and to be able to support someone and I'm, I'm with you there and great providers and great professionals say the exact same thing because we spend so much time on this superfluous shit. We spend six minutes every week at making a phone call to somebody just because we have to. Let's reroute those funds to good proper rehab where we need it rather than these service level agreements where it just says, oh, you have to make contact just because. Hey, whoever's writing policy, we need more time. We need more time. We need a lot more time because we can't do something in an hour and a half when we're trying to completely understand what makes them whole, what pieces are currently missing from that, and then come up with these fantastical solutions that you insurers may or may not think is appropriate. And how do you find that knowing that you have all these external pressures but still trying to find good rehab. Where is your? Where do you find the balance for your team? Which what decisions do you make? It's a good question, and we've got to be very very careful to to be clear that it's it's not like this in every space. Working in life insurance, I feel we can be a much better health professional and have much better outcome. Mm -hmm than in the workers' comp space. Yeah. Not this, that's not all the time, because you have insurers that really understand, mm -hmm. and as long as we can communicate why we need things to be outside the scope of, of what the SLA is, you do have some flexibility. Imagine you're, you're a new grad in this environment, <laughs> being able to put those ideas forward and be confident in what you're saying mm -hmm. and what opinion you're putting forward. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. I remember when I was in New Grad, I have to say New Grads now know a lot more than what I did. In what way? I, I think probably what's covered in the degree okay. has changed. Probably more diversity of the placements mm -hmm. that are being done, particularly for OTs. Quite a few universities are including like workplace rehab mm -hmm. topics even if it's just like a guest lecture or a guest yeah. you know coming in to speak about it like yeah. having more knowledge before you go in because yeah, i had no idea what to expect when i started i fell into it yeah to rehab. I, like all of us most yeah. people did 
I've just learned even more why you're just truly amazing. <laughs> like, mm. Yeah, the fact that you step outside of this and understand so much about rehab in general, injury in general, and now have a personal experience in all of this. Mm. I mean, you pass the good human test because that's ultimately what we're trying to do, aren't we? We're just trying to be good humans within this system that is somewhat dehumanizing. That's true. And I will say that the advice that we give in rehab, so the reason I've been able to get back to work and get back to where I am Mm -hmm. is because everything that I have worked with my clients on, I am doing. (laughs) I already knew that all this information about pacing and scoping out your day and using visual reminders, like, we know that that should work, but putting it into practice, it does work. Something else that came up is you can't pace with kids, and we know this. Yeah. It's impossible. Like You can't plan out your day until your kids are just stop for 20 minutes so I can have a break. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that came up for me was how do I help my kids understand what's going on, and that's probably something as rehab professionals that would be amazing to have more awareness of Mm -hmm. how do we help parents who are trying to recover from an injury educate their kids and and you pointed to that as well in that um when partners become carers and those changing roles and like you've just turned on a light bulb it would even take it beyond the the kids and understanding what's happening Mm -hmm. but also the partners even Friends, how do we do that? Because our focus is on one individual. If we could look more broader, if I know we can do activities of daily living assessment, mm. but again, that's looking at very basic things. It's survival, yeah, not what thriving. Provide that practical assistant, cleaners, taxi transport, not ongoing, but in the beginning when these people where they're trying to go to rehab, mm-hmm. they're trying to focus on their recovery. So, like, have meal prep services, anything that takes some pressure off so that they have energy to focus on recovering and getting better. And the things that are important to them as well. Exactly. Like you said, you've only got a certain amount of sort of cognition and bandwidth. It's you want to be able to spend that energy on the things that are really, really important to you and let other people deal with that type of stuff. Yeah, stuff. And then build it back in. Yeah. Because that's part of capacity building. Maybe what's a little bit different about my situation is that this is a disability. This is something I need to manage yeah. ongoing. It's not something that's going to go away and fully recover. Yeah. And the injury is a little bit different because mm-hmm. most injuries will recover. Yes. So if we can provide more practical support. Uh, and, um, and early And on. early. And as soon as As soon as necessary. Possible. That would be amazing. Yeah. And, and, and that speaks to the early intervention is yeah. like a running joke. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Never happened. What do you do for fun that is only for you? What's something that you get fully immersed in and that you would see as play? Or- that's a very good question because I think that's an element of my life that I need to get back. And at the moment, my space is going for really long 5k walk that helps my 
cognition. It helps me think. Other people think I'm crazy because they're like, why would you walk three and a half k's to Woolies and then carry your groceries back home? Number one, I'm not driving. Number two, I've got a purpose to walk somewhere. <laughs> And number three, on my way back, I'm doing some weight. That's right, getting your guns back. Yeah. For me, that's enjoyable. Yeah. I used to enjoy reading. I haven't been able to get back to that mm-hmm. because my reading and cognition is spent in work. Yeah. So that's probably an area that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And I love watching my kids play sport, and that's still a family thing, but it's not my own thing. That's but right. for me... Having the time and space to do that mm-hmm. is something that I really value yeah. and that I always found hard to put it, to fit in before. Yeah. The fact that I'm making sure I have space for that, to me, is really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it and I think there's a lot of lessons that people can take from this where they don't have to end up in the hospital and having a, a disability. It's kind of like just understand where your value systems are and mm. then make those intentional decisions to place your energy in certain places. Yeah that's been forcibly put upon you but I think it's just a lesson that everybody can learn um, to say here's my amount of energy and that's important that's important and I'm going to choose to do that but also the the multitasking thing just do one thing at a time let's do some plugs for you though hey how do we find you know one of the best rehab providers in New South Wales Victoria where are you guys ACT ACT, that's right yeah yeah, ACT so um, the rehabilitation specialists actually have our largest team in the ACT and we're building Sydney at the moment. So if there's anyone out there that's looking for a new leadership role, contact me. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not great at going out and just saying things for the sake of saying them. Mm -hmm. What I'm plugging is to try us out and see for yourself what it's like and what what the team are like. Mm -hmm. Um, When we interview for people to join our team, Mm -hmm. we ask always, what's important for you in a job and what are you looking for in an employer. And we also emphasise that the culture here has been built from the team. Yeah. That's why the service is so consistent across the team because everyone cares. So the plug for me is know that um, if you contact the rehab specialist, you'll get people that care at every level of the business. Yeah. And I think what's important here as well is that Fiona, you're not just saying that. A lot of companies will just say that and ask those same questions in interviews, but you fucking mean it. Like when you're talking about culture and when you're asking people, what do you want from this job? You truly listen and then you truly try to build that culture. And that's something that it should be so celebrated. It should be spoken about a lot because I think what you have here is a model that rehab had 10 15 years ago we lost but i'm so optimistic and i'm so hopeful and i'm so ecstatic that there are still companies and people like you who are stubbornly continuing to just care just truly do a good job to truly look after one another as a team so i just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time and coming onto the pod i know you're probably going to crash after this and i appreciate the cognition and the time and the brain time that you've spent with me are there any final words that you wanted to say firstly thanks for having me on uh it's been really interesting for myself sitting here having this conversation with you because i wasn't sure where it was going to (laughs) go and I feel like there's so much more to say and probably what I'd like to put out there is if anyone would like 
to hear about lived experience or what it's like. Mm. I'm an open book. So please send questions to Rhea because I believe in life that thing that things happen. Mm -hmm. We learn from everything that happens. Mm -hmm. And what I have the opportunity to do here is use the experiences to hopefully make things better, whether that's in my personal life, in work, for my client. And so I guess the message I want to I'd like to put out there is as long as we're always learning from what happened, it doesn't ha it doesn't matter we all make mistakes there's things that you know don't quite go to plan but as long as we've learned from it and we share that yeah we're always going to get better and that fiona is what makes you a fucking amazing human being mm -hmm. so thank you again for coming on um the intelligent rebellion podcast thank and you catch you around The Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is brought to you by Three Sticks. My name is Ria Mercado and I am your host. Our producer is Will. This episode is brought to you by Crayons for all your colouring needs. 